Welcome to the Genuine Admissions Podcast, where we talk to members across our community about all things Loomis. My name is Amy Thompson. I'm the Dean of Enrollment, and I am also your podcast host. Hello, this is Amy Thompson, the Dean of Enrollment at Loomis Chafee, and welcome to Genuine Admissions, our podcast about all things Loomis. I am really excited today to have the opportunity to talk to my good friend, Scott McClintock, Director of Innovation. What I really want to start with is just the whole idea of not just where we're going as we talk about innovation and this incredibly exciting new department and the work that is happening in our FI, but also where we've come from. And so I always like to start with our guests uh, and just having you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about, you know, your relationship with Loomis Chafee. So would you mind just taking a few moments to start there? Sure, no problem. Uh, I'm also equally excited to, to be here to be part of the, the podcast series. Thank so you. thank you for inviting me. Yes. Uh, as Amy mentioned, my name is Scott McClintock. Uh, my official title right now is Director of Innovation, but that certainly isn't the way I started here. I am actually a 1982 graduate of Loomis Chafee. I was a four-year day student from Windsor, walked to school uphill both ways, uh, and then went off to, to college and started teaching prior to coming back here in the 9091 school year. So this is my 34th year back on campus as a faculty member. I've had two children who graduated from here in 2012 and 2019. Um, and as you alluded to, I've worn many a hats in my time here. I came back teaching science in the biology and chemistry and living in the dorm and then transitioned pretty quickly in, I think, year three into the dean's office, worked as a dean of students and for 18 years or so and living in the dorm, dorm head, coaching, still teaching some science. In fact, I believe that's where we first met was with my first time I interviewed at Loomis Chafee. I'm sure you don't remember this. You interviewed me. Really? Yes. You were part of the people, the, the slate of people that I met with. And I remember that we had, a because you were one of the deans at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had a conversation regarding the AP biology yes. curriculum and what the reasons why we didn't teach it. And here we are many years later, of course, um, you know, fully, fully integrating um, so many different types of biology into the curriculum through our CL courses. Not that we ever really taught AP biology, but anyway, <laughs> I remember uh, 17 years ago having that conversation when you were still a Dean and here we are talking about innovation. Yeah. So, um, so yes. Yeah. So anyway, go on. That's all right. I do remember actually, as you were working in looking to move into the college office. That's right. Role, so that's right. We've been here a few years. Yeah. Uh, after a number of years in the Dean's office, I then was lucky enough to be able to be the first director of the Kravis Center for Excellence in Teaching, our on-campus professional development, as ably run by Sarah DeVoe right now, but I did that for eight years, I think it was, as it was in its infancy, and then transitioned to, and when we were looking for a new space, an innovation center space, whatnot, uh, into the role of director of innovation. And I now teach in our department, which is a relatively new one, uh, the Computer Science Design Thinking Entrepreneurship Department, uh, teach a couple different classes there and, and direct the uh, Purse Hub for Innovation, the FI. So um, I'm glad that you mentioned kind of this progression that you've had, because uh, first of all, just a shout out 
to Sarah DeVoe in the Kravis Center. We do have an excellent podcast with Sarah um, as well. Sorry, we got her on before you, Scott. I hope that's okay. Um, But I think just talking a little bit about how you ended up in this space from the Kravis Center space maybe is a good place to start. I know that when you are in the Kravis Center, a lot of what we do in the Kravis Center for Excellence in Teaching is around innovative teaching um, and kind of moving from that type of space into now a department, which is a fairly new department and how it became a department and how it became the first hub for innovation and kind of that progression. Um, wondering if you could talk a little bit about just how that all kind of came to be. Sure. The story and give you the reader's digest version of that. <laughs> Certainly I was not anticipating being in the role I am when I was in the Kravis center and we were, it was a collision of, of sort of themes that were emerging at the school, this idea of deeper learning, um, what uh, time is daily time schedule we have with yeah. classes. There was also pressure about the AP, no AP, right. college stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of, of cross currents. We we're also looking to do an upgrade to some the campus center. And, and so there were a bunch of things that were sort of colliding at once as we recognize that we would love to have a a space that was dedicated to uh, more innovative practices in the classroom as far as stuff. And we say building or making, and that was sort of percolating around with people. And fortunately there was a space that opened up uh, on the garden level of the, of the Mm Scandalous campus center when the renovation (laughs) happened. So all of a sudden we had a a potential space where we could imagine then it was, uh, what could it be? And that's when I uh, got involved and we were looking for actually the director to find, and we were unsuccessful in finding somebody. I was on the committee who was actually in search of somebody. And then at some point, Sheila and, and Webb called me to a meeting and said, we think we found our next director of innovation. And I said, oh my God, I'm excited. Tell me who it is. And they pointed at me and I said, oh my, okay. Uh, so I certainly have been being involved in the Kravis Center with the Penn Fellow Program that we're part of and doing a lot of, I do a lot of school workshops in PD. I'm on the Connecticut Association of Independent Schools Commission on School Betterment and Professional Development. So I've done a lot with working with teachers and and trying to stay abreast of what the sort of current trends are and ways of of approaching teaching and learning. So as somebody who is renovated a 1750 house and completely gutted it and done a lot of stuff in that area. Uh, it was intriguing to me. So, and then, so once we had a space, it was, we were given sort of free reign. We brought Jen Solomon on board as a new faculty member as the associate director. So she and I were the directors before the space even existed. And it was, we were given the charge. All right, here you go. You got a clean slate, build it. And which was exciting and daunting at the same time. And we felt very strongly that we did not want just a space that would be a nice stop on the tour. Right. Uh, no, even though it is, even I should say. It is, right. <laughs> we didn't want it just to be another stop on the tour. Uh, we, we felt strongly that in order to, to be an effectively integrated program and, and curriculum at the school, it needed to have a curriculum. It needed to have courses coming out of there and we spent time, actually, we met with all, every single faculty member, member individually and asked them about what are the innovative things they're doing in the classroom, what would they hope for in this kind of space. We didn't want to presume we knew what people really wanted, so we did a lot of listening, a good human-centered design approach. We did a lot of gathering, as we mm-hmm. say, in our mm-hmm. design process. And we knew we definitely wanted to have classes that were taught out of there and have it be fully staffed, 
We also wanted to, to broaden the definition of making. You hear frequently a term that we tend to push away from is the idea of a maker space. Right. We can get into that right. <laughs> perhaps later. Yes. That uh, we wanted to broaden that definition and think of making not just about things necessarily, but making solutions, making procedures and policies or and we talk about having a, a low threshold, high ceiling to get in there. We don't want it to be the kind of place that is intimidating. If you're somebody who has tons of experience using the laser cutter and 3D printer, great, come on down. We got those. Uh, if you're somebody who's never seen any of that but is intrigued by solving complicated problems, uh, we welcome those people as well. And uh, we have from sewing machines to cricket cutters to 3D printers and, and, the, and the CNC router and the whole bit. So we did develop some courses uh, coming out in that first year when we got into the space. Uh, again, we were very cognizant of mission. The first class it was problem solving for the common good, which is a social entrepreneurship. We have an introductory course that introduces students to manufacturing, problem solving, and entrepreneurship. Problem solving for the business world. Those were the and those are the first sort of three that came out of there. And then we added in problem solving in engineering, a robotics class. And then the innovation trimester, the ITRI came on board after a year. And then we also uh, then folded in the computer science and computational thinking area, since frequently computer science is sort of the orphan of a math department. Exactly. And, and between Kate and Matt, very much uh, buying into the human-centered design approach to solving problems, saw a really good fit for the way they thought about computer science and algorithmic thinking. So uh, it was a natural to bring them in as part of our department. And then we sort of said, we have enough courses and stuff here. We ought to be a department so that we can go to curriculum committee and start to influence <laughs> uh, bigger things. Sure, so. sure. That's the relatively short version of it. But. Yeah, no, and I, I think that you've touched on so many important things that are just quintessentially Loomis in that story, right? And the first is the idea of um, mission and how important the mission of the school of um, educating students to be their best selves in service of the common good is as a mission-driven center. And a lot of people would think of something like the FI as, quote-unquote, just a makerspace, right? But mm -hmm. it's as you've alluded to, um, it's not in the sense that it's completely a mission-based program. And so the ability to design that program from the ground up, not just to put resources into it, but to put intentionality around the curriculum, I think is something really important for families to hear who are considering the school. So thank you very much for for um for talking about that. You also referenced a few other things that I want to get back to yeah. maybe in a moment, which is certainly... Um, we want to do a bit of a deep dive, uh, maybe in a minute about the I try and mm -hmm. what that's all about, especially because as you well know, one of my daughters, daughters did it. Yes, I have I a particular well fondness of yeah. the I try, um, and what it did for, for her. But, um, but in addition to that, the idea that you, uh, from the very beginning that the focus was to go out into the community and to determine what the needs were and where our faculty wanted to go with what was being built and so I'd love to touch on that aspect a little bit, because I think the curriculum is one aspect of it that is done through the department and through the FI, but how you're integrating current courses that are going on into coming into the FI, I think is something that a lot of our prospective families don't necessarily 
know about or understand. And they think about a place like the FI or a department like your department as being just for kids who are interested or like that's where the robotics kids go, right? And it's, and in many schools, it's kind of like at the end of a hallway in a science center, right? And one of the things I love about our center is that it is literally in the physical center of our campus and people walk by it every day. It's across from our mail room. It's, you know, you, it's, it has windows all around it. It's an, it's a quintessential central part of what we do. So how does it intersect with the curriculum as a whole? Mm-hmm. How do sure. French classes get down there? Yeah. How does a history class get down there? What are the English students doing mm-hmm. in there? That's a great question. And it's one that I get asked frequently when people are used to a model of, uh, of a makerspace and sort of the tech heavy kind of right. stuff. And beyond the courses we teach, we say, try to uh, integrate with every single department. We're, we're not shy about admitting we are a Trojan horse to get in everywhere because our goal, because we don't have graduation requirements to come out of our department. So we have to convince people of the value of what we're, we're providing the, their students if they're not in our classes and how the FI can be beneficial and valuable to enhance what they're doing. So we reach out to, we had some early adopters who were eager to, to leverage some of the, the things we were going to have in that space or the space itself because they had some projects they were just unable to do as well in their current classroom. And then we reach out to, we host the new faculty cohort down there. So we, we intersect with them there and sort of plant the seeds it's not uncommon for a teacher to come to us, either me or Jen, and say, I'd love to do something in the five, but I'm not sure what, because sure. I'm a French okay. three teacher. Right. I'm a Spanish, uh, excuse me, an English one teacher. Yep. And we say, awesome, come on down, let's talk. And it's not about what we want. So we explore with them what are the learning goals that you're trying to accomplish. Uh, we're big about authentic audiences, having kids do work for an authentic audience. So we ask what kind of work are the students doing that engages a, an authentic audience. Um, and we also ask them, honestly, what's an area that, that you just don't enjoy teaching that particular unit? Let's start there, the low hanging fruit, so <laughs> right, to speak. Right. And we, it, that's an example of a number of the English classes I have come in in the last bunch of years uh, to do a unit, a project related to poetry. Some of the teachers really struggle to get kids, younger kids in particular, engaged in, in deep conversations about poetry. No surprise, a 13-year-old boy isn't always eager to, to dive into a conversation about poetry. So they came to us saying we're struggling to get students sort of bought into the concept of, of poetry and the value of it and the beauty of it and all that. And so we sat down and, and worked with them to figure out, is there a way that we could make the poetry unit come alive more because the students had to actually create an object that had inherent meaning and, and that could be seen as a, an artifact from the poem where only somebody who's read the poem and understands it deeply would see the meaning of it. And, and that could be shared with your class, next year's class, whatever it happens to, whoever the target audience happens to be. And that's a number of teachers have come down and found, not surprisingly to us, but to them sometimes, the, the conversations about the poetry and the poem and what the kids were trying to capture in the object that they were going to make that represented the themes of the poem. You just sort of step back and, and chuckle. I do as they are talking (laughs) deeply and and carefully and analytically about poetry because they're trying to capture that aspect into the object that they're going to make. So, um, 
it, and again, it, it goes across the curriculum. We have the Spanish three classes, for example, coming in, designing objects that capture and convey an aspect of Spanish culture that they feel is important that needs to be passed on. And we talk about how culture is passed on through stories, but also through objects that are intentionally designed and built. And for whom are you designing this object? Is this for a grandparent? Is this for uh, visitors to the the uh to Spain? Is this to people who are fans of the opera in Spain? What is your target audience and understanding what they need? Many of our students haven't, most of their work is, has been done for the teacher's eyes. And uh, to broaden that uh, helps them to, to recognize that this is more complex than what's just happening necessarily in your individual class. So we, in word of mouth spreads, people bring their classes down there, they hear about something a colleague is doing. We always, as you mentioned, we're in the center of everything with a glass everywhere. So people walk by and stop in. It's like, what's an English class doing down here? Oh, come on in see what they're doing. Or the math classes, the philosophy classes. Uh, we have a whole bunch of the world history classes coming down starting next week, um, working on a project related to uh, a, a trading game that they're engaged in right now as they learn about trade uh, and merchants and, and travel and all of that in the, in the time they're studying. So they're going to be coming down, actually uh, designing and pitching uh, uh, an expansion pack for the game and having to go through that process of understanding, gather, generate, build, and share. So Yes, and process, right? I mean, that's exactly when you were saying those words. I know that so much as, as you're talking, what, I, what keeps going around in my mind is process. And how important as an educational tool, the process of coming, it's not just about creating the object, but it's about how you get to. We have, that's one of our, ta we have a couple taglines we yeah. use, right? It's the, the buy is a place to make things and make a difference right. is one of our favorites. And then our other favorite of late is the process is the product. Wow, see, For I didn't us, even know yes, that. Yes, so the process is the product. Scott, I just, I just, I, exactly. Excellent. Now. Nice. Yeah, no, process, I love that. It's, a, it's about getting there in the journey. Right, and, and right. The product in the end can also be awesome and knock it out of the park, um, but it's about how you get there and, and, and share what you've learned and have those deep conversations. It, I, I chuckle every time the listening to a bunch of freshman students dive in deep into a poem that they wouldn't have done around a Harkness table necessarily. In the same way. And, and different kids who may be more reticent in that context all of a sudden flourish when they're allowed to to make something that represents the poem that could be a, that it could have layers like an onion of meaning that only people who really got the poem would truly get the significance of what they've created. And we say every choice you make when you're designing something is an opportunity to design intentionally. So every, how big you make it, what color you make it, what, you know, how many steps are involved, whatever it happens to be, every decision you make is an opportunity to design intentionally, which means, recognizing what matters. Right. So getting to that point, you know, you also referenced the idea of making things and making a difference. And I think it's important that we talk about that mission as well. Um, and, you know, you referenced earlier kind of some of the original courses that were designed were designed around things like problem solving for the common good and the innovation trimester being very much focused on, uh, you know, making a difference. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how the offerings of the department and the mission and the philosophy behind what you're doing intersects with this common good uh, mission and, and making a difference. Yeah. It was, to be honest with you, Jen and I, when we were first starting to bang ideas around, around this in the curriculum, we knew that 
if we could ground it in the school's mission, it would be easy to decide whether something should be included or not. Right. If we could always go back, if we're proposing a new class when we in, within the department say, does it answer to the mission of the school? Is it serving that purpose? If it, if it is, then it's something we ought to perhaps pursue and explore. If it's not, then it's probably not germane or relevant or maybe interesting, but not something that we wanted to, to sort of have coming out of, out of the FI. Um, and that's true. We try to certainly do that when we're working with teachers and the individual projects, but I'll take anything to get them in there. Sometimes it may be something that isn't as, as deeply connected to the mission, but we can get there. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, so we want to make sure we, our goal is to have every single kid in there several times in their course of their career. And we have certainly some anchor courses that everybody like to have all 13 sections of world history be down in the five. We'll get every single freshman. We, we get, we have some anchor courses that we get there. Um, but the, the similar to, I think, uh, the Norton family center for the common good that our, we see as part of our goal is to have kids put into practice and recognize all of the, stuff that they've learned while they've been here content wise and skills what are you going to do with that right having it is great but it's not about collecting the most stuff or the most skills or the most knowledge so you can be great on the jeopardy game it's what are you going to do with that and the phi i think in laos we try to embody the okay you come in there with a range of skills you'll pick up some new ones learn some new things but ultimately what are you going to do with what you know, similar to the Albert Center, to make the world a better place, whether it's our campus, our community, Windsor, Hartford, wherever we're, we're working with? So for us, it's important to, to always be looking for authentic audiences who might benefit from me putting what I know and know how to do into practice. So that's almost always front and center as we're thinking. People... Teachers we're working with don't always recognize that, but we certainly tell them that, but also are pressing people to think about how is it that the knowledge and skills you have are going to benefit others. And it's been easy to come up with courses or pitches or project ideas. If, if that's always what you can go back to, it's uh, inherently, a, I think, a good thing to do, but it's also... Kids get excited about that kind of work when you feel that you're relevant and you make a difference yeah. in the world. Right. And you can you can see how you're you're putting your education into action. Yes. And that's definitely um, the type of student who's often drawn to the school is because they see ways in which they can do that. Uh, certainly one of the most kind of obvious ways is through the iTry. Yep. And, um, you know, the iTry has been going how many years now? Five, six. Six. I think six. this is your six. You know, when I think about the iTry, first of all, it being a pretty unique program. Um, second of all, something that, and thinking back about when it was first designed and first coming online, uh, what was it going to be and, and how, did it, how did it evolve and what is it today? It's, it's just been a very interesting journey in terms of where, where the iTry, the ideas of, around the iTry came from and, and what it's turned into in terms of its popularity. I think the other piece around it that is interesting that I think is related in some ways to what we talk about with prospective families is 
We do talk a lot about location and setting of Loomis Chafee as an institution and leveraging what we have in our local community. And to me, the iTry is a perfect example of this in many ways in terms of being able to say, okay, now that you're, you know, as you say, you've collected all these skills, you've collected this content and you're now a senior and you're in your spring term and you're thinking about now what's off island. Let's talk about how we do that within an iTry structure to think about what's going on in the world outside of the island, not just on campus. And then how do we put these skills into action? So I hope you could talk a little bit about, I know I just threw a lot at you about the iTry, but as you know, I'm passionate about it as well. And so um, let's just get dig deep into the iTry. The iTry, which is a shorthand name for the innovation trimester, as you mentioned, is a, is a application based program for seniors currently for seniors in the spring term. Um, it's for students who are looking for something different to sort of culminate like a capstone kind of project, but many capstone projects are self-focused in your own passions as opposed to externally facing. We feel as we're about to pass them on to the next level, the colleges and universities, I want students who have started to leave footprints in the world. And I think the iTry is a, is a wonderful way for them to be able to do that. Uh, seniors who are in the program uh, are done with all of the regular classes. They spend full time down in the FI uh, doing the iTry. And in a nutshell, the quick version of it is they, it's usually organized around a theme. We've had a variety. We're working on the theme for this year. It's been sustainability one year, which in the broadest of senses, we've had um, uh, food was one theme one year. We had it around athletics, uh, we had it around happiness, so a broad theme. So we're, again, we um, can connect the, the partners. We talk about partners, we have project partners that we work with that could be on campus, could be in the Windsor community or in the greater Hartford area. We've traveled as far as New Britain and other places to work with, with young businesses or nonprofits. Um, and what we're looking for when we're reaching out to potential partners is they tend to be young, early, businesses or entrepreneurship endeavors that are typically running on a shoestring budget and don't have a large staff that they can farm things out to that and we always approach them you know what are things that you're currently actually struggling with and having trouble with that you would love some essentially free consulting for and and then we work with those partners to sort of craft a, a challenge statement or the the problem that they we would like the students to dive into we're big into um as we, we talk about complicated problems versus complex ones and the subtle difference there. What I mean by complex problem, um, fixing the broken cuckoo clock is a complex problem. It may require a lot of special skills and tools, but ultimately there's a right answer. Cuckoo clock either cuckoos on the hour or it doesn't. Works or it doesn't. Works or it doesn't. Uh, the thorny calculus problem, probably only one right answer. Maybe really complex to get there, um, but ultimately, there's a, a back of the book that you could find the answer to. Uh, we prefer what we call complicated problems, where there's not one right answer. There's multiple possible good answers, uh, and it usually means it involves people, <laughs> which means you have to understand an end user, where a human-centered design approach to the FI comes into play is, is understanding the whether it's the market you're trying to market to, whether it is the, the partners themselves and what matters to them, because you are going to be 
pitching ideas as a student in the ITRI to people who are owners of businesses who have put their blood, sweat, and tears into something, you need to know what, what matters to them, which means you need to get to know who they are and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, so we're, we're always looking for <clears throat> partners that cover a wide range uh, of, of people and, and experiences. We've worked with a number of uh, female-owned businesses. Uh, so last year's theme was, was focused on apparel. And we partnered with a uh, owner of a streetwear clothing company in New Britain who was looking to expand into West Hartford and trying to increase his online sales. Happened to be a business owner of color, was looking to branch into a new market and, and needed help with that. We partnered with a shop downtown in Hartford that catered to the LGBTQ and BIPOC communities. Um, so we're, we're always looking for expanding the range of, of voices and faces that the kids would see out there as potential, um, potential career paths or whatever it happens to be. Um, and the, and the students do a, a lot of work in that program, um, and they learn the, the deep dive into the human-centered design approach a lot with public speaking and presentation skills. And it came about as a result of, as we were thinking about sort of what would be a capstone experience for the, from the FIES perspective, and the biggest challenge in school is we don't give people a lot of time to dive deep into things, even in, with longer periods hour and 15 minutes goes by fast if you're really into something. So we were, when we made the pitch about why we should do this program, it was we wanted to provide an opportunity for kids to really go deep and to, to spend an, an extended time mulling over and working on a problem and getting to know is very collaborative and co-creating with a group of students who you will spend six, seven, eight hours a day with. And that comes with some challenges. <laughs> Um, but we, we said that's the one thing we felt that was missing from a, a Loomis Chafee education was the opportunity to, to take that really deep, intensive dive into something. We wanted to provide that opportunity for students, and uh, we felt that this uh, outward-facing, what footprints are you going to leave on the world and make a difference approach was going was gonna to work, and so far, so good. It's it has certainly evolved over the six years as we fine-tune it. It's expanded. We have 16 or 18 students. This We had six or seven in the first year who took the plunge with us, and we built the boat as we, as we were sailing it. And now we're up to, I think it's 17 or 18 students. We're at the point where we may have to try to do two cohorts. We have three faculty members spend full-time with the students, teaching them the, the approach and process. And and whatnot. So it's, um, it's been wonderful to be able to provide that opportunity for students to put their skills and knowledge and passions to good use. And one of the things I love about it too, as you're talking is, um, and this was certainly the case, I think I can speak for, for my daughter on this, is um, many students who don't necessarily quote unquote associate themselves with kind of either project-based learning or some people make the association that, again, that this is about STEM. When you talk about makerspace, you talk about um, the types of design thinking that you're talking about and the way that we do it and the way that you're talking about it is that it's not curricular specific. And so for students who get the opportunity, it links so clearly to what you were saying at the beginning about students having the opportunity to get into the FI early 
and see what's available and get excited about the ideas that, that they could take things. And then saying, okay, something like the I try, you might have a kind of a bias or a stereotype around the types of students who would do something like that, who might be more comfortable with kind of team-based mm -hmm. types of things. But when you actually see the students who are doing it, it's a very diverse group of students, many of whom would not have ever thought of themselves as, let's say, eighth graders being the types of people who would do something like this as a senior in high school. And just the, the fact that it's so um, accessible to so many different types of students and so exciting to so many different types of students. And because the kind of, there is a little bit of an intimidation factor. I think that, that sometimes students feel when they see a lot of machinery mm -hmm. <laughs> in a space. Yep. Um, but the fact that it is become so accessible to them at, a, at an early stage of their Loomis careers means that they can see themselves there and they've been there and then they take it to the next step. And so I love just the kind of accessibility and inclusion that people who want who feel a sense of belonging at the FI and don't feel like they, or in the ITRI or whatever, and they see the types of kids who are doing it and they say, that could be me too. Totally. From the outset, we're designing around maximum accessibility for the most number of students, but range of kinds of students. The students who are top of the class academically, there's something for them. Uh, students who are not at the top of the class academically, people who have been more reticent. We've had, you know, some students who would self-identify as being very introverted and being very shy, who, right. who sort of come out of their shell when they get the opportunity to, to go deep. So we, we consciously try to make sure that we are appealing to as wide a range of students as possible. But the only, some of the ones that have the biggest challenge might be a student, um, who needs to meet NCAA Clearinghouse. Standards. Yeah, right. Even that, we, we work around. We've worked with the college right. office for to the figure I that out yeah. for the I-TRI. Uh, having students uh, will have to plan to make sure they got some of their electives done before the spring. But we've had very few, if any, problems with kids. Not If, they, if they're interested, we've been able to make it work and, and juggle things around. As we said, if, if you want to be here, we, we want to work with you. So, um, so you mentioned kind of the range of students. And one of the things where we started was this idea of like, okay, you know, every student has an opportunity to experience being in the FI and experience, um, at least through their classes. We get a lot of questions in the admissions office from the students for whom they've already had the experience of being in spaces like this. And they want to go as far as possible, as fast as possible in terms of maximizing their experiences in places like this, whether or not it's through robotics or whether or not it's through coursework or whether it's through coding or whether it's through, I've already made my own app or, you know, these, a lot of things that are going on out there that involve innovation with young people. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of what does, what does the department, what does the space look and feel like for you mentioned the term high flyer, you know, somebody for whom like sure. they already know this right. is their passion and they're looking for a school where they can talk about dive deep and do some really exciting things. Yes, we have. Uh, I know because I get the emails from the students that, that are <laughs> yeah. applying to the school, sharing yes. with me their experiences and their background. <laughs> it's always exciting and a bit daunting sometimes to hear right. what some of the eighth graders have achieved already. <laughs> wow, it took me yes. a lifetime to get there. I know, I feel that way myself. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, we have a couple... Uh, specific sort of programmatic ways that we cater towards those students. And then I think there's several other ways that are not as programmatic. So two, I can think of right off the top of my head as far as programmatic ways, is we have um, what's known as the FI grant program. 
we have money that was given to us by a recent alum to support students who are looking to pursue some kind of entrepreneurial project that is above and beyond the curriculum. Uh, they can apply to get this grant money. They'll have a year to work on it, work on their project, wherever it is. It doesn't necessarily have to be a for-profit business kind of thing. Somebody could be trying to, to design a, a display for the art center that promotes fill-in-the-blank. Uh, but it's an entrepreneurial kind of, of project, and they students do this outside of their class time. They sort of figure it out. Uh, some of them, many of them, are, are teams of students. Uh, we've had some that are looking to start a business, and some have successfully done that. Others launching clothing lines. Others an app for uh, with virtual reality, lot, tapping into the archives. A whole range of things. Um, so kids can apply for some funding to support their passion. I have a student uh, this year. Lewis is actually. Uh, designed and is fabricated and is having manufactured a special monitor that doesn't use um, nearly as much energy and is better for eye strain. So he's got a product actually ready to hit the market. Can I have that? On. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I'll bring one over for you. Um, Around February, that's when exactly I really could use it. So that is certainly one place. So we've had some uh, some really neat things that kids have done there. So if you come in with a passion project and you want to continue. That, and again, whether it's individual or um, as a team of two or three, um, that works when kids have something they might have already started prior to arriving at Loomis Chafee. Uh, there's an advisee who took advantage of it as he was uh, developing his uh, a computer company to build customized computers for people. He had the skills to be able to assemble them and everything, so he would meet with people and figure out the specs. And But he was trying to launch that business, so he needed some help. And we tap into the resources of the FI and our our uh, network of alums who might be able to reach out and chat with them or whatever. Uh, we also do have had many students who have done independent study projects. Uh, there's a couple of them going on right now in the computer science area with students who have a particular passion about uh, computer science or whatever it happens to be, who can do apply for and get an independent study, which is four credit, shows up on their transcript where they have to commit the number of hours that a regular course would would take um, in order to pursue a project um, that leverages our resources or our knowledge or expertise in, in, in the FI. Um, so again, we've had several of them in the last couple of years centered around computer science-related projects. Did have one a couple of years ago, girl, it happened during the COVID time with student of mine who was was had an ISP to, to do a project in the FI um, and then COVID happened she was going to be she was passionate about astronomy and sailing and kicking around some ideas have you ever heard of celestial navigation and, and she ended up not knowing anything about that and was going to be building her own sextant and learning how to use that and then unfortunately COVID hit but we pivoted and said hey guess what the astronomy teacher, I bet if you reach out, you might, what if you created a, a, a course, a mini course on this and create some modules, teaching modules that teachers could use. And she got totally into it and designed a whole curriculum with videos and kids assembling and making their own section and all that. Oh, this was all through an independent study project. So that was something that was a passion of hers, but she was able to get academic credit in order to dedicate the time to it. We have students who come in that aren't in a class or aren't coming in there with a class who have a project that they're working on and they're wondering, can I use the resources that you have down here? Because I want to continue doing something all over it. We have students that 
a lot of space for storage of student projects in, in going. I had a student who was building a, a robot at home and he needed to use a, a couple of our 3D printers to make some parts for this robot he was making. And it's like, sure, come on in. We can, we'll help you with any way we can. And students, so there's plenty of, of opportunities for kids to go, like you say, soar above and beyond. We also always with those kids, I always try to get them into our classes as well since so many of those passion projects are individual things. Um, so I always like to sort of pepper in a little bit of the, the collaborative and the outward facing stuff. Uh, so that, and, and some of those kids end up, you know, it's not uncommon to see those kids end up involved in the iTry as well. Yeah. So, and, and certainly the team aspect of that and yes. all of the work that's happening down there is such an important aspect of the work too. What do you see as we talk about the history behind everything that's been designed and how popular the programs have become and how many people it serves, faculty and students? Um, what do you see as the future? What are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that excite you as you think about kind of the direction in which the department and the FI are going? Yeah, we're always looking to the future and say what's next and not getting complacent. Um, we aren't there yet, but we're rapidly approaching a good problem to have, namely too many people wanting to come in at the same time. Uh -huh. we, we are fully staffed every academic period, Wednesday afternoons, two, uh, one night a week, and other events we host on the weekends. We have the GESC kids down there this weekend doing a workshop uh, as they're preparing for their capstone projects. Um, I had an English teacher just this morning who wanted to schedule time for her class next week. And I said, I have to hold off because I already have three other classes in there scheduled. If I can get one of them moved and they might not be coming down, we can squeeze you in. But the reality is we can accommodate three and four classes frequently down there, depending on what they're doing, but it's, and some of them involve supervision and help. And so rallying my staff um, to, to have enough bodies to help them out and support them. So it's a good problem to have that people want to be down there. And we're, there's always, sort of a cadence, busy times and less busy times. So this is certainly one of those really busy times where we have two and three classes in there many periods during the day. Um, so space is always, and staffing are things that keep me up at night. Are we going to have enough bodies to be able to support all the things that people want to do? We've been fortunate. The school is, is well supported from as far as budget and equipment and alumni have been fantastic. They see the space and say, oh, I wish this was here when I was this right. and there. And will, um, you know, donate money or equipment. So we've had, we've not been for want of, of tools slash toys and, um, and equipment and to be able to support all of the programs going on. It's bodies and space, to be sure. honest with you. And with the iTry now getting to enough to justify two separate cohorts, trying, we've worked out several plans for how we could actually accommodate and make that work uh, with the faculty and the space and still be able to support all the classes that come in there outside of the iTry in the spring. So I think the things that keep us up at night mostly have about... The curse of success. The curse of success. It's not a yeah. bad problem to have. No, it's not. But I think that, again, it goes back to what, where we started, which is it's a mission-based center that draws students for the right reasons. And they come in early and they experience... Um, something that's that's meaningful, and they're making the connections early, and then wanting to come back, and faculty want to come back, and they see the value beyond just making something. Right. Um, and so it's a credit to the way that the entire program has been designed. So, um, so kudos to you, you and your your incredible team over there. So just to switch gears completely to wrap up, what keeps you at Loomis Chafee, Scott? Why have you been here for for so many years? What what is it about Loomis? 
um, free, free that, lunch. other <laughs> than the free lunch, which is excellent. Um, uh-huh. you know, I do like to ask our faculty as we wrap these up about just what, what gets you excited about the work? Um, for me personally, it's, there's a couple parts to that answer. One, I've been fortunate enough in my time, let's say this is my 34th year here to have the opportunity to, to try out and new hats again started full-time classroom teacher was in a, a dorm head was a dean for 18 years or whatever it was uh the kravis center to be able to to work with the my colleagues with the on-campus professional development and now with the with the innovation center so i've had i would say three or four different careers they just happen to be all at the same school uh, <laughs> right. in in some senses that's true and to be honest with it with the dean's office was in existence the kravis center was new i got and I had the support and the latitude and I think the mentality of the school and the leadership here to build it. And, and I was not executing somebody else's plan. I was allowed to, to create and come up with a vision and obviously make sure it aligned with what we wanted and as a school, but I was given a lot of latitude and support along the way, whether it was in the Kravis center or in the, in the FI to really do what I felt was best for the school. And, and obviously the people there to, to bang ideas off along the way, but a lot of freedom and latitude, which is liberating for students or adults, right? To feel that you have autonomy over what you're going to do and what you are being asked to do makes a difference. And so for me personally, that has been a huge reason why I have continued to stay as long as I have. My two kids had a wonderful experience here and education here. Um, you know, my, my dad was the chief engineer when I was a student here, so I have history beyond before when I came as a student. Um, and I, I say to people, it's hard not to sound sort of itchy with it, but I, part of why I came back was to pay back what I had taken from the place. It wasn't the stuff. It was the people and right. the interactions with people. Right. People that cared for me, people who wanted to see me succeed. And to be able to do that for the next generation or and now my case, their children, right. <laughs> many of people who are back now, um, bringing their kids through. And so I'm that teacher. They say my mom or dad had you when they were here, <laughs> had many of those students already. So to feel that I'm part of that, it's, I mean, the, the mission of the school is, is so compelling to, to not be inspired by it and feel that you play a part in it. It's hard not to. We talked about the mission a lot during this conversation, and I think ending with that is is very apropos. I would say that um, probably a lot of people tuning in today didn't anticipate that this conversation would be so steeped yes. in best self and common good. When you think about, oh, I'm going to tune in to, to learn about the Purse Hub for Innovation, and yet it's reflective of the school, the culture of the school, the philosophy and the mission of the school, that everything comes back to that, right? So, um, so I think that's a great place to wrap up. So. Thank you so much for taking the time to come in. Given the curse of your success, I know it's hard to get you out of That's the fire right. sometimes. I have to... a class waiting for me down there in five minutes. <laughs> I'm I think, sure you so. do. So I will let you go. But thank you so much for coming. I think this has been a great conversation for prospective families and for me. I've I've always learned something new. So thank you. And uh, this is Amy Thompson. Thank you for tuning in to Genuine Admissions. <laughs>